Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Well, today's Hope for Mental Health Sunday. Hugh, would you join me on the stage? Um, a few months ago, our, our uh, elders and uh, some others began discussing some needs in our church and how could we adequately provide needs for uh, those in our church during the last 18 months. And um, I began thinking through what it would look like for us to highlight this area in our church, uh, but also bring in someone who could speak to it intelligently with care and from scripture and from the Holy Spirit's leading. And so uh, Hugh has graciously gifted his time this morning. Uh, Hugh, I told him last week that you've been in full-time ministry in our community for over 25 years. Yeah, uh, in 1996 19, wow. is when I started uh, serving at Family Church in Sutherland and uh, leading worship. So yeah, I've been around a long time. So um, so he's been in our community. He knows us. He loves us. Uh, just a quick side note on what Hugh, uh, he's invested in our church. And you should know that. The week of the pandemic, when we found out we could not have a service, uh, Hugh called and said, hey, I know you don't live stream now. Do you need help live streaming? Can I come by and help? And he spent hours that week and in the weeks following just to make sure we could get up and running. I didn't have to call him. He called us. He knew that would be important for us, for our people to be able to worship together that way. So he's invested in us. Uh, and so I'm so grateful that he's taken the time today. So give him a proper welcome, would you, Pastor Hugh Heinrichson? Thanks, Daniel. Yeah. Well, good morning. And uh, let me just say what a joy it is to be able to be with you. Uh, I'm honored and just blessed and privileged to have the chance to open the scriptures with you and to talk about something that is a big deal. It's a big deal when we talk about mental health. And so let me just, before we jump into that, let me ask you a question. How many of you ever in your life have ever personally yourself or somebody that you know have ever broken a bone? Anybody here? Someone? Yeah. Okay, great. How many of you either personally yourself have wrestled with uh, or somebody that you know and love have dealt with a diagnosis of cancer? Anybody here? Yeah. How many of you, either yourself or someone you know, would, would uh, have something in your life that you would acknowledge has to do with less leery to raise? Okay, good. Hands down. So the idea of talking about mental health in the church, and this is something that I discovered in my 20 years of ministry, there is a continuum or a spectrum of perspective, right? There are some people who in this world or in life or even in the church would say, I'm over here on this side of the spectrum when it comes to dealing with mental health. And this side of the spectrum would be that I believe that through prayer and the scripture, Jesus will solve all of my problems and I'll never have to address any mental health issues on my own. In fact, they would say things like psychology or medication. That's just the wrong way to approach any mental health issues. There are some people in the church who would say, yeah, I'm on this side of it. In fact, I might even be over here, right? How many of you know some folks that that might be their perspective or their thoughts about dealing with mental health? Yeah, it's all Jesus, nothing else, and, and he meets and solves all my problems, right? Okay, but then there are other people whether they're in the church or not, there are some folks in the world who their perspective is that 
any mental health issue should be resolved or solved with medication and or uh, professional psychologists or counselors and anything having to do with faith or spirituality, that's probably a sign of mental health issues, they might say, right? They would say if you're praying to some God, right? So there's this huge continuum of perspective. Now, when I first stepped into ministry as a pastor, one of my first jobs uh, uh, was uh, when I had the title of pastor was serving, um, and I had a task that many pastors I was in my early 20s at this point, and I remember in particular one couple that had reached out and said, will you would do some marriage counseling for us? Now, I was a newlywed. I'd been married for all of about three years, so I knew all how to address all of the issues of marriage. I was probably one of the wisest people, and being 23, 24 years old, I was just one of the wisest people in the world. To so I'd gone to Bible. I knew how to pray. I knew how to point people to Jesus. I knew how with the issues of life. And I remember in particular this one couple, they came into my office and, and we talked and we talked about the issues they were facing in their home and we talked and I remember opening the scriptures with them. I opened up the Bible and we read passages from this and it was an hour, it was an hour and a half and I was, you know, I'm praying and I'd been praying before that and seeking God's spirit, just meet with them. And like, by the time we're done, we pray together. I said, are you guys ready to go? Yeah, this is great. Thank you so much. And they left and went on their way. Followed up a week later, with the issues they'd been dealing with before, but it seemed like things had gotten worse. And it went from one week to the next. I, I opened the scriptures, and uh, do I need this now, or are we good? Oh, okay. All right, then. Hi, how are you? So, needless to say, we open up the scriptures. Uh, they, they come back the next week, and the issues are worse it seems. They're just not getting any better. And, and I found myself week after week, month after month, because it went on for a long time, because I wasn't going to give up on them, and they didn't want me to give up on them, and they didn't want to give up on each other. They knew that things had to be addressed and dealt with. And I remember going home one evening to my wife saying, I feel like I'm just spinning in circles. And uh, that evening, she was uh, crocheting, sitting on the couch, and I walked in. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm crocheting. I said, will you teach me how to do that? And she said, why? I said, because I feel like as a pastor going in week after week, I'm spinning my wheels and we're not getting anywhere. I'd like to be able to start something that I could finish, right? So that's when I learned how to crochet, and that was the year everybody got scarves and hats for Christmas. It was wonderful. I remember having to have a conversation with this couple in my office, and I said, I want you to imagine for a moment that you have a kitchen that you want to remodel, and you've called me to be the guy to come alongside you and help remodel your kitchen. But what I have is a ball-peen hammer and a handsaw and a Phillips screwdriver, and that's what I have in my tool belt. You want to remodel your kitchen. You don't need me to show up. Now, if I showed up, I could work and I could do this and we could try, but it's not going to be as finished as somebody who has the, the pickup truck with all of the tools and the power saws in it that would come and help you. There was a moment in my, early in my ministry where I realized that my competency as somebody to come alongside and care for those in need in my church, I needed help and I needed to build up my toolkit. So I ended up referring them to another set of counselors. Why do I say all of this? It's because I had early on believed that Jesus was enough to meet the needs in my life and to solve the problems of life. 
and the Scripture was sufficient to do all of those things. Now, at the same time, I still believe that Jesus is more than enough to meet all of the problems of our life, and the Scripture is sufficient to speak to the needs of our life. But for some reason, I did not fully take into consideration the reality of what people are wrestling with on the inside. And so that spurred in me the desire to go back to school to learn how to help meet people where they are so that I could help bring the Scripture into a person's life so they could experience the transformation that happens with Jesus. So my background and my training, I've been a pastor for over, I've been in ministry for over 25 years. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in psychology from Corbin University, used to be Western Baptist College, and I also have a master's in uh, human service counseling uh, with marriage and family. So my graduate degree is in counseling. I want to be able to help come alongside and meet people where they are. You and I have either personally experienced or somebody that we know and love have dealt with issues of mental health. And the most important thing that we can do is acknowledge that they are really, really real and that God meets us where we are in the midst of it. The question is, will we have our eyes open to allow him to work in us? In the scriptures, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, and I'm going to be reading this morning from the English Standard Version of the Bible. There's, and, and most of the passages are going to be up on the screen for you today. This is what uh, this Colossians 1 passage says. It says, him we proclaim. This is Paul writing to the church in Colossae. He says, him, that is Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He says, it's for this that I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he, that is Jesus, is powerfully working within me. Paul says there's a goal. As, as somebody who is in charge of leading the church, that's what Paul's responsibility was, and as a pastor, my responsibility and my goal is to work with all of Christ's power within me so that I might present the church, the body of Christ, mature in Jesus, right? This is what we invest in. This is, this is what I'm called to do, but guess what? It's also what you're called to do. It's not just professional pastors that are called to do this. We as followers of Jesus are to move others toward Christ-like maturity. So in my mind, early on, I thought that maturity meant that I was going to be free from any kind of conflict or issues or, or, or people, if you're mature in Jesus, you don't have any issues that you're dealing with. Guess what? In my young, immature, inexperienced perspective, I was carrying around a distorted theology. A theology is, is a belief about something, and my theology was distorted because I assumed that when you came to know Jesus Christ, all of your problems went away. How many of you wish that was the case? How many of you believe that's actually the case? Why is it then when we as followers of Jesus wrestle with things, whether it's physical health or mental health, sometimes ask the question, oh no, what's wrong? What did I do wrong? We have and carry with us a distorted theology that my hope and my prayers this morning we might be able to let go of and cultivate a healthy theology when it comes to issues of mental health, as well as how we grow in Christ-like maturity in our lives. So the issue or the question, is the Bible not enough? Is prayer not enough? 
Or what happens when we're tempted to lose hope, when we face circumstances that are overwhelming? I don't know about you, but in my life, I have faced many circumstances where I say, I don't understand how I'm going to be able to get through this. Anybody ever been there? How am I going to get through this? You don't understand what's in front of me, or you don't know where I've come from or what I've been through, let alone anticipating what's ahead. I know that in life, I've experienced circumstances that I think that's just the worst thing that I would ever experience in my whole life, and then all of a sudden, around the corner, there's another more difficult harder thing to walk through. And sometimes we're tempted to lose hope in that perspective. And here we are in 2021, right? We live through 2020. So, you know, we're pretty resilient. But then when we anticipate what's around the corner, sometimes we're filled with fear or we're carrying residual grief and anguish with us that we say, I'm not sure how I'm going to make it. So one of the questions I always love to ask is, are we alone in this as a people? Are we the only individuals in life who've ever lived like this? And one of the things that I love is that in the scriptures, we can find others who've lived similar type experiences with us thousands of years before we even breathed our first breath. So this is the passage that we're going to go to today. We're going to really anchor in Psalm chapter 69, and we're going to look at three sections in this psalm. The book of Psalms is a book of poetry written uh, by a number of authors, but the primary author is a man named David, who was the king of Israel, the second king of the nation of Israel. And if we were to know about David, there were a lot of amazing things that he did. And then there are some things that he did that weren't so hot. But the synthesis that we get about who this guy is, is we find out that he is a man who was after God's own heart, right? So there's something about him that we can look at and go, this guy... He was following God with everything that he had, even when he wasn't. In Psalm 69, there's a specific set of circumstances that David describes that are particular to his life. But as we open this up, I want you to think about maybe some circumstances that you might be wrestling with. And look at your specific circumstances through the lens of David's words. All of the, all of the text will be on the screen. He begins with this. He cries out. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. Have you ever had a specific experience in your life where you feel like the water's up to your neck and you're standing out there in the middle of the water and you're just trying to keep, keep you know, you're standing on your toes just to, to catch that next breath? He then says, I sink in deep mire where there's no, no foothold. Okay, so you're on your tiptoes, you're trying to keep your head above water, and then all of a sudden, you're sinking in the mire, the ground is eroding below you. Where's that water going? It's coming up, it's coming up. What does David say next? I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like you're just trying to keep your head above water, and then all of a sudden, you just feel so overwhelmed? It was the summer after my senior year of high school. I'd gone uh, over to uh, Reed Sport uh, area, kind of Winchester Bay, and we took bodyboards, uh, two of my buddies, my friend Aaron and my friend Jordan. We took Jordan's mom's 1995 black Jeep Grand Cherokee. We took mom's car over to the beach, and we got out there, and we went into the water, and we were bodyboarding, right? This is when you like kind of float on this thing, and, and you, you body surf in, and all that stuff. And it was interesting because uh, I'd been to the, to the ocean a handful of times. We moved to, to Roseburg in 1991, so 
It was like five years later. And so I'm over there, and we're in the water, and it was a blast, and we're, you know, half hour turns into an hour, and we're just, you know, teenagers having fun in the water. And it was interesting, because I remember going out at one point, and then I kind of turned around, I was like trying to catch that wave to come back in, and, and I had this interesting thing happen, where as I stood, you know, with the water up to my chest, all of a sudden the water that was coming back from the shore was coming below me, and the sand was actually eroding from under my feet. I thought, oh, that's weird. Okay, so I just kind of push a little harder and get into this. And I was caught in, what, what do you call that thing when the water's coming at you? A riptide, yeah. It was, it was sucking me out. And it was interesting because I was fighting. I'm so, I could swim. I'm young. I'm agile. I can do this. It, it felt like a day and a half. It was probably about a half an hour that I was struggling. And my friends, we're just, you know, because we're all just out there in the water. They didn't know what was going on. You know, two dumb teenage boys that weren't paying attention to anybody else. And I remember having a conversation with God saying, Lord, I feel like this might be the end of me. I didn't know that you should swim sideways on the shore to get out of that. I learned that lesson. But I remember the, the sheer panic that was going through my heart and my mind. And I thought this might be the end. I don't know about you, but maybe you have found yourself in a situation, a circumstance, whether it's things that you're wrestling with internally, depression, anxiety, fear, or maybe it's the baggage from the past that you've lived and the traumas that you've experienced that you carry with you that shape your perspective in life, that you feel like, I am up to my head. The deep waters are flooding over me. And maybe you've done what David does. He says in the next verse, I'm weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. He says, God, I am sick of calling out to you. I'm so sick of it. I'm so tired that my voice, I'm losing my voice, God. I'm calling out to you to take this away. Make it so that I don't have to deal with this. It's just so hard. God, do something with it. How many of you have ever found yourself or do you know someone in your life who has been at that place? I know I have people in my life, and I've been there myself too. He then says this. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Now, in English, it's like, oh, that's beautiful poetry. But in Hebrew, the language this was originally written in, essentially what he's saying here is, God, I'm losing hope when I wait for you. I'm in the middle of this mess. The bottom is eroding from below me. I can't stand on my own. I'm over my head, and I have no hope. I'm crying out to you, and I'm saying, God, where are you? We have to recognize that there's something about this situation, about this presence of hopelessness that is very, very real. Remember David? The guy who was a man after God's own heart, he got to that point. Whether you've walked with Jesus for a really long time or maybe you're just beginning to take these steps, it is not uncommon for us to find ourselves in the depths of despair and to have hopelessness as something we face. 
So what do we do about it? What can we do next? When I was uh, going to school for my master's degree, I, I had the fortunate experience to have a really, really dear friend uh, who uh, was a follower of Jesus, loved him with all of his heart. Uh, he was a, a, a clinical psychologist, a PhD, and he was a personal mentor of mine. His name was uh, Dr. John Gardine. He served in this community for years. He passed away a few years ago. Uh, he had a brain tumor that he fought, and um, just a beautiful man. And I remember talking to Dr. John, and he said, you know, Hugh, he said, how you view your experiences will impact the way that you think, the way that you act, and the way that you feel. He says, there's something about how you see what it is you're going through that changes everything. If you see that even though you're crying out for God, that there is a God to cry out to, even though it feels like he's not responding in the way that you want him to, but you know there's a God who's sovereign and in control, it's okay to be in that presence of hopelessness, but it'll impact the way you think. But if you perceive your situation as there is no God who's not there, who doesn't hear me, and I'm in this all by myself, and there is no way out, even though I might feel hopeless, maybe that's the reality, it'll change how you think. It'll impact how you think. It'll also impact how you feel, your emotions. If I perceive my circumstances, even though it seems like I'm in the depths of despair, there is a God who is here, rather than feeling lost and hopeless, I might be able to have a sense of his presence. It'll, it'll help how my emotions are impacted. And then lastly, it'll impact how I act. It'll impact what I choose to do in this. The way I view my perspective will, will impact my perspective. The way I view my circumstances, the perspective I have on my circumstances will impact the way I think, feel, and act. And this is exactly what we see here as David goes on in verse 13. Because it impacts how he acts. So in between what we just read and where we're going to pick up in 13, David just describes the specifics of his circumstances. And so I'm jumping over David's specific circumstances. And here in uh, verses 13 through 17, we read this. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. Remember, he's the one who just said, my eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. My voice is parched, but guess what? Still, as for me, my prayer is to you, Lord. His thoughts point him to what's, what's the right next step to take, or at least the next step I can take right now. How do I center my emotions and, and my actions into this? I'm going to pray to you, God. I'm in the midst of my muck. I'm over my head, but I'm going to pray to you. He goes on, and he says, At an acceptable time, O Lord, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me, in your saving faithfulness. So he's still crying out, God, I'm in the midst of this mess. Save me. That's my prayer. But what was the caveat, the first four words? At an acceptable time. Not God in my timetable do this, but God in your acceptable time. I'm asking for you to show up. His prayer specifically, God, deliver me from the sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep water. He, he's going back to that visual imagery of the, the muck, right? The mire that he's sinking and the water rising up. He's asking, God, take me out of this. That's my prayer. I ask that I would be delivered from this. Let not the flood sweep over me or the pit swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. God, I'm feeling like it's going to swallow me whole. 
please help, help this not be the reality. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. He's asking, he's pleading, God, turn to me. And he ends it with this. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. What I love about this is even in the middle of his muck, even in the middle of his crying out, of feeling like, God, I've got no hope. I'm still going to come to you, and I'm going to ask you for these things. I'm going to ask for deliverance. I'm going to ask for resolution. I'm going to ask for this to, to, to be dealt with in your time and in your way. Sometimes I think that if I was in charge of the universe, things would go a lot better. Because I've got problems solved. I see issues in the world and say, well, gosh, you know, if it just happened like this, it would be so much better. Aren't you glad I'm not the one in charge? Yeah. I imagine that there will be some moment where I will stand face to face with Jesus after I breathe my last breath, and, and I imagine a conversation. I want to be able to hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, that's what we all want to hear, right? And then I want to just praise him and, and honor him and glorify him and, and, and worship him. I'll be overwhelmed, and I'll probably be down on my face. And then, like, in my mind, the way that I process it, I, like, imagine, like, standing up and just kind of standing there and just kind of going, so, Jesus, there was a lot of stuff I just didn't get. I didn't understand why it made sense for that little boy to have to experience that thing. For this person that I knew and loved to go through this suffering or to experience this hardship, like, I, I didn't quite understand how or why that was necessary. How many of you have questions that you wrestle with like that? Yeah. David says, God, at an acceptable time, you will answer Maybe not in my timeline, but on your own. One of the things that I love about this is in all of, of David's realization of the muck and the mire he's in and the specifics of his circumstances, he chooses to turn not away from God, but to God. And it's as if he's saying, God, don't let me be alone in this. Far too often when we walk through hard, difficult things in life, we feel isolated and separated from community and many times from God. We feel ashamed that we have this sense of hopelessness. We feel like, I can't talk to anybody about the things I'm wrestling with because, well, no one else has to deal with things like this. Over the last couple of weeks here at First Christian, you guys have gone through voicing what's been going on inside of your lives things that you've been wrestling with, and some data has been collected. Um, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, there's some questions that you answered. One of them was, I have been bothered by little interest or pleasure in doing things, right? Do you guys remember filling out this card for you been, been here? You did that? Did you know that over 60% of you said that that was true of you? That you have been bothered by little interest or pleasure in doing things, meaning you're just kind of like apathetic about some certain things? You've wrestled with that. Over half of you responded positively in saying that, yeah, it was true of you, and that you have been bothered by feeling down, depressed, or experiencing hopelessness. 
Over half of you said that was true of you. You've, you've experienced some sense of hopelessness over the last year. 37% of you said that at some way, in some level, you have felt ignored or forgotten by people that you love. You have felt alone in what you're experiencing. And over 70% of us, 70% of you responded by saying that you have grieved the loss of someone who was close to you in this last year. Why is it that in the midst of our suffering, we feel so isolated and alone? Yet even in this church community, and I think you speak for the nation, we've all lived through this crazy trauma of the last two years of our lives. Now, what's interesting is nationally, we've all experienced the trauma of this COVID thing, this pandemic, the loss of people. How many of you have folks that you know in your life who have actually died from COVID? That you know, yeah, yeah. So people that we know, people in our lives that we've lost. And at some level, some people just say, well, hey, we're all dealing with it, so get over it. And others don't take the time to consider the, the, the fact of the impact of that loss that we've loved, of the loved ones that we've had. It's huge. So we're not alone. We are not alone in our feelings of isolation or pain or suffering. And again, we have a distorted theology if we think that our lives will be free from pain, suffering, hardship, relational conflict, depression, or anxiety. What we need to do is begin to cultivate a biblical theology on our suffering, and even as it relates to mental health, to realize that it's possible that mature followers of Jesus have mental health issues. Do you think it's possible? Is it possible to be a mature and maturing follower of Jesus and still have issues with mental health? Yeah. In this world, you'll have tribulation, you'll have trouble. That Greek word is there will be pressure that you face. You're going to have these things that, you, that, that impact you. Yeah. So it's interesting because um, in the scriptures, uh, we'll get to, I have a passage I want to read to you in just a second, but I want to... Uh, 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 I want to acknowledge this. Things that impact our mental health well-being, okay? So factors that might contribute to mental health issues that you might deal with, whether it's on the spectrum of depression or anxiety or uh, uh, OCD or ADHD or whatever acronym you can fill in, um, things that can be diagnosable. And here's the thing about diagnosable mental illness. What happens when a, a professional therapist or counselor is with a client or a patient, they're going to say, what are the kind of symptoms that you have? And they'll say, these kinds of symptoms are lumped together, and we call it this. And so they're going to help you walk through treatment of those issues. Um, and, and so that's all those are. What happens to make those things present in our life? Some of them are biological. You were talking about um, Daphne, who is, who is wrestling with memory loss issues. Would we say that's a mental health issue? Yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, do we? Yeah, I think so. It's affecting her cognitive ability to process in life. Alzheimer's and dementia, those are biological things that happen in the human body. Depression, <laughs> the presence of depression can happen because of certain hormones that are more present than others or are absent, right? There are a lot of variables that happen. Um, I remember my good buddy, Dr. John, said to me this. He said, Hugh, when you sit down with a client or a patient in your office as a counselor, one of the things you want to be able to do is assess if there's anything biologically 
askew with them, deal with that first. Deal with that first. Because it's quite possible that a good night's sleep and or some food or some vitamins or some medication will impact their mental well-being. The second variable that comes to play with our mental health is psychological. How we think about the world, how we process. Now, uh, some of us grew up in homes that we would say are dysfunctional. And some people say, I put the fun in dysfunctional, right? It wasn't that fun sometimes in the homes that we grew up in. But if you come from an environment, and, and that actually leads to this one here, the social component, your social upbringing, it will impact your psychological well-being, how you make sense of the world around you. There's also the emotional reality, not only what I think about things, but how I feel about them, because sometimes we might think one thing and feel something else. And then the last part of our, 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 who we are as human beings is our spiritual reality. We are holistic beings, and, and God has created us as multifaceted people. We are biological, we're psychological, we are emotional, we're social, and we're spiritual. And each of these, these parts of who we are will impact our mental health and well-being. So again, in cultivating a healthy biblical theology about mental health, or more importantly, how we face suffering and hardship in our lives, the Apostle Paul spoke about a specific situation he was wrestling with in 2 Corinthians. Oh, I'm going to jump over this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, and this is something you might be familiar with, Paul had a specific experience that he went through and was kind of writing about it, and then he jumps into this. And he says, okay, this thing that I lived through that was pretty awesome, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, the things that he went through that were so awesome, he uses this language. He says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, that's weird language, right? Like a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan? These are descriptive words that he uses to describe something that scholars and theologians were like, we're not really sure exactly what it was that he was dealing with. It could have been something to do with uh, his eyesight. It, could have, it might have been something to do with his physical body from the suffering and the beatings that he endured. We don't know exactly what it was. But what we do see is this, is that there's this thing that he dealt with that God brought into his life to help him from becoming conceited. And he goes on to say this, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Like, God, take this away. Now, do you remember who Paul is? This is the guy that would walk up and like say, hey, get up and walk, right? People would take like his napkins that he used to wipe his face at lunch and would take those and people would be miraculously healed. And this is the guy who, who he went before the Lord saying, God, like miraculously, I'm asking you to take this away from me. Does God sometimes miraculously take hardship away from people? He does. Does he always? And even when Paul, that guy that God used for God's miraculous power to help free people from things, when he prayed, it didn't go away. He says, but he, that is God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness, Paul says, so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. If we have a distorted theology that makes us think that we'll be free from pain or suffering or hardship, it's time to have a healthy biblical understanding 
of what it is that God actually does to cultivate Christ-likeness in us. You didn't do anything wrong to get that thing that happened to you. To carry with you this thing that, that plagues you. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't consequences to sin, because sometimes there are. We actually did do something wrong, and there's sin, and it's distorted our thinking or how we view ourselves or we view others. And those are things that through counseling and through Scripture and, and as Christ-like maturity is formed and forges in us, God can bring healing. But sometimes there are other issues that are just there because God says, I love you so much that I'm willing to allow some things to be present in your life so that you can turn to me, so that you can see that I'm with you in the midst of the mess, in this muck that you're in. And in the midst of specifically coming back to the issue of mental health care, oh, and this is the very last thing that Paul says before I move on. He says, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. In the midst of our weakness, Christ strengthens us. Doesn't always take us out of the mess, but he emboldens us to walk through it as we walk with him. Now, I went through a list of different variables of, of you know, uh, how people view addressing mental health in the church. Either, you know, don't talk about psychology or anything like that at all. Um, and I, we're over here versus don't talk about God or anything at all because we're over here. A healthy perspective would be kind of somewhere in the middle, I think. That's at least the conviction that I've cultivated when it comes to helping walk people through their issues. So also, one of the things you got to take into consideration is what is, the, what is the severity of the issue somebody's wrestling with? So for you, you might say, man, I just kind of feel depressed. Feel depressed. Okay, well, when you say that, what are you talking about? Oh, I'm just kind of sad and I don't want to do anything and, and just this heaviness that is over me. Okay, well, what's going on specifically in your life? Nothing. I've been like this for 25 years. Oh, okay. That, that you know, might be something like clinical depression that you would talk about. Or you might say, well, I got fired from my job, and, you know, my, my grandma died, and my uncle died, and, um, well, I can't pay the bills. And, like, there's a specific thing that you're going through, and you're dealing with these emotions. And so, you know, you got to ask, is this adjustment disorder, which is I've gone through a life stage change, and I'm just trying to figure out how to navigate through it, or is it clinical depression? I'm going to switch analogies here because it would be something like this. Well, am I dealing with a stubbed toe or a broken ankle? Because how you address a stubbed toe is not the same way that you would address a broken ankle. Or if I'm driving my car, taking my car to the shop to get an oil change, it's going to be in and out in about half an hour if I'm lucky, versus a blown head gasket, it's going to be in the shop for a while while they get the parts ordered and they do the work, right? So sometimes when it comes to the mental health issues that we're wrestling with, we have to ask not only what is it that I'm wrestling with, but what kind of care am I going to need to be able to navigate through this? And in the church, there are a variety of ways of how we can respond to care for mental health issues. There are things that we can do in coming alongside each other as well as partnering around others in our life. I want to come back to and uh, finish up with the words of Jesus and then conclude in Psalm uh, 69 with you. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me all who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. There's an invitation that Jesus makes to us for us to not have to do this alone or carry these burdens by ourselves, but to come to him and he'll give us rest. He says, take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. 
and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is hope that we have in knowing that Jesus invites us to walk and be with him. So for you, when you heard that we're going to have a Hope for Mental Health Sunday and some guy's going to come and share with us, I don't know what you, what you walked in, what hope you had. Maybe he's going to fix all of my mental health problems. As I can't do that. My hope and prayer is that I would help each and every one of us let go of whatever distorted theology we've carried, thinking that our life will be free from these issues completely. Jesus is with us in them. He invites us to walk with him in them and for us to walk alongside each other. Psalm 69, verses 29 and 30. David has just talked more in depth about the specifics of his circumstance, and then he says this, and this gives me hope, but I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. Notice those words. God, I'm afflicted and I'm in pain. What has he done? He's cried out to God. He said, God, I can't see you. I don't know where you are. Okay, I'm going to continue to pray to you. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to ask for deliverance in your right time, God. I'm going to do this. But hey, guess what? I'm still afflicted and in pain. It hasn't gone away. It's still here. But he says, your salvation is the thing, God, that sets me on high. God, you will come and bring about the resolution. You will do this work in my heart to change my perspective. God, it's in you and through you then I'm going to get out of this. It might not ever go away, but I'm going to be able to go through this. I'm going to be able to be above it even though I might be in it. So what does he do? This impacts his actions. I will praise the name of God with a song, and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. When you face the hardship that you're facing, we still have the choice to praise God. When you're in the pain of your experience, the mental health issues you're walking through, what would it look like to thank God in the middle of it? God, I, am, I don't even want to get out of bed. I'm going to thank you, not necessarily for the specifics of my circumstance, but because you're a good God who has given me salvation and my life, and you're not done with me yet. Apparently, in the midst of this mire and this muck, you're going to be doing things that cultivate Christ-like maturity in my life. God, if I was in charge, I would not have picked it like this, but you are in charge, and I don't understand, but still, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to praise you, and I'm going to thank you. And the last thing is this. For reals. The last thing and then two, two questions. You have been called into community with others. You've been called to not have to do this alone. Yes, God is with you, but you're together in a community, whether you're a part of First Christian Church or any other church in this community. Be with other believers. Walk with them in the midst of your mire and muck. We realize that over half of us are wrestling with things. You're not alone in this. 
And so here's what I want to invite you to do is ask two questions. The first question is this. Who is it that you need to talk to about the things that you've been wrestling with? If you've been dealing with depression or anxiety or fear or, or grief or, or fill in the blank with whatever the things are and you've been trying to manage it on your own, who is it that God is asking you to reach out to? And it might be scary, you might be fearful in that, but guess what? God is with you in this moment. So that's, if you're wrestling, who are you going to reach out to? The second question is this. Who is it that God is asking you to check on? Who is it that God is asking you to step outside of your comfort zone to come around and say, hey, let's, let's talk. I've noticed some things in, in you, and I care about you enough to have this really awkward, difficult conversation because I love you, and I want God's best for you, and I want you to know that you don't have to do this alone. I might not be able to magically make all your problems go away, I will pray with you. We will open the scripture together. We will find hope in God's word, but we will also have a healthy biblical theology that recognizes that in the midst of our mess, God is there too. So my prayer for you, first Christian, and will you pray with me? My prayer is that God would fill you with his spirit, that you would have your eyes open to the fact that he is present with you in the midst of your mire even when it seems that your, the, the foundation is eroding below you, God is still there. That you can have hope and security knowing that you don't have to do this alone. That Jesus' invitation, which is to come, is to be able to walk with the one who will give you peace. Thank you, Jesus, for being the God who suffered, who knows the depth of our pain and our despair and is present in it. And my prayer for you, First Christian Church, is that you would be the kind of community that normalizes this and clings to Jesus in the middle of it, who does experience freedom from the bondage that comes at times, but clings to the hope that Christ is with us above all else. Jesus, it is in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.